Uh, we've been looking in the book of Jude, and I'm inviting your attention back there today. Let's stand together, please, as we reverence the Word of God. <clears throat> A message I call Building Up or Tearing Up. Building Up or Tearing Up. Jude 17. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And may God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> Jude, of course, one of the shortest books in the Bible. Uh, he intended to write a book about salvation, uh, but instead he was inspired, compelled uh, to write that we would contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. He saw Christianity, the whole message, under attack, obviously from persecutors from without, but he also saw it under attack from those who were corrupting it from within. And so he spent a lot of time on what we call the great pretenders, those uh, men, the leaders who came in, unsaved people, uh, who were weaning people away from the apostolic faith. Uh, that faith that was given to them as uh, they would put together what we now know to be the Bible, the Word of God. And those pretenders, the apostates, he's called them, would always be in contradiction to the apostles and so it was then, so it is today. And today he'll be calling us to consider that divisive influence of worldly people who are tearing up and dividing our world and infiltrating our churches, but he's shifted his consideration. But ye beloved, but beloved, now we get to that application part of the passage where, uh, or the book where he's going to talk to us, God's people, who love God, who know God, who are trying to live by the Word of God, who believe the Bible. What do we do in the midst of such a, a, a term, tumultuous time? What do we do in the midst of a situation where so many are dividing our world and God's churches too? Now, it should not shock us that lost people, unsaved people, make their way into churches. There was one in the very first one that Jesus started. We even know his name, Judas Iscariot. Uh, ultimately, of course, he would betray Jesus. But it's interesting that the closer Jesus came to fulfilling his purpose, the, the, the more uh, that he uh, developed his ministry, the more he moved toward that fulfilling time when he was going to offer himself as a sacrifice of the sins of the whole world. And that great story of redemption was going to play out. Judas Iscariot was getting more and more unhappy. And John, in fact, tells us about one of those incidents when uh, Judas lifted up his voice. And began to stir up a mess. John chapter 12 verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the, Lord, of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, 
Simon's son, who would betray him, said. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Putting that in perspective, um, 300 denarii was about a year's wages. How much do you make in a year? Uh, what's the average wage in Cabot, I don't know. Whatever it is, 300 denarii, that was about it. A year's wages. And when Judas saw that fragrant oil poured out, lavished on Jesus, he was indignant. Indignant. But of course, he didn't keep it to himself. He began to spread his indignance around to other people. Uh, that's kind of always been the way that lost people in church operate. The closer that we get uh, toward God's work, the more that God's work begins to flourish, the more uh, that a church begins to focus on doing things the way that God tells us to do and honoring God, loving each other. Lost people don't like it. I used to wonder why it was that our church, and I'd see churches, I've seen it over the years. I used to preach a lot of revival meetings. Now, I, I used to wonder why it was that we'd have a great revival meeting and somebody would always get mad. Have a, a church go through a great time of revival and people get mad. Why? It didn't take me long to figure it out. A lot of people hate revival because they're not saved. It shouldn't surprise us then that lost people make their way into, into the church. That's what Jude has been writing us about all this time. This morning he's going to talk about what they do and how we respond. As he focuses then the rest of his time on, on how we, the beloved, are going to continue to do what is right and do what honors God and pleases Him. Now, James perhaps said it best in James chapter 3 and verse 6. He said, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. The tongue. I mention that to you only to uh, explain to you that the fellowship that we enjoy as God's people, the fellowship that we have around the truth of God is a very fragile and it can be burned up and be gone, just like a wildfire that goes spreading across the forest or the prairie. I thank God for the fellowship of this church. I pray for it constantly. But let's understand, it's a fragile thing. I wish that every church had a sign like this one. Uh, put that up. Yeah, no drama. But such a goal is unrealistic for any church, anywhere. Why? Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 verse 1, it is impossible but that offenses will come. It is impossible but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and be cast into the sea and that he, sh and that he should offend one of these little ones. You ever been to the old mill? 
Uh, you ever seen a mill in operation? See that huge stone, that grinding stone? Uh, Jesus said it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean. And that's not going to end well for you. Than to offend. So just because it's taken for granted that there will be offenses doesn't mean that it's okay to be the offender. We should avoid it at all costs. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. See, sometimes we're just moving around minding our own business and we think everything is just peachy. And all of a sudden, we log on to Facebook. I don't need more, but you log on to Facebook and there's some comment. Wow, where'd that come from? Or maybe somebody just plows into you at church someday. Man, and just all over you. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? You were just minding your own business. Pow! Man, where'd that come from? Now, when that happens, whether it's from someone within the church or whether it's from someone without the church and that outside the church, and it happens in both places, and Christians better get used to it because if I see what's happening in our country the right way, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So here we are minding our own business and all of a sudden somebody's there and, all, and our, our natural instincts kick in and our fight or flight <laughs> uh, reaction starts. Uh, either we want to run and get away or we want to fight this kind of fight or this kind of fight or this kind of fight or it's not that kind anymore, it's this kind of, this kind of fight. <laughs> Y'all know that kind of fight. You say, well, church is where everybody's nice and people love each other and get along all the time. <laughs> no. Listen, if I read these passages correctly, and I do, they're hard to mis, uh, uh, misinterpret because they're so plain. If we are doing what we're supposed to be doing as a church, then you can rest assured that there will be offenses. There will be complaints. There will be criticism it will happen Paul addressed these things very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18 he said for first of all when you come together as a church I hear that there are divisions among you and in part I believe it for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you you see Paul says that turmoil difficulties sometimes serve a useful purpose because it helps us to identify uh, those people who have something wrong in their hearts. And we see that and we recognize that. We don't forget it. We don't forget it. And on the other hand, we see those people who love God and honor God and in the midst of that turmoil, they stand up and they stand for what's right and they show wisdom and good leadership. We don't forget that either. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So sometimes these things happen and they serve a useful purpose. And he goes on in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Avoid them. Yeah, see, sometimes we read the New Testament and we think all those churches were perfect. They were not. They were not. There's never been. A perfect church. There never will be one until we're gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ. 
But that doesn't mean we just give up on it. That doesn't mean we let the fight or flight thing kick in. We just give it back just like we're getting. We just run. Surely there's a better place down the road. No, no, no. How do, how do we deal with that? And anytime I preach like this this morning, I, I always issue a disclaimer. I'm not doing this because we had a bad business meeting last time or that I'm looking for one next week. I, I'm really not. Uh, like I said a while ago, I'm very, very thankful for the fellowship of this church. But I understand that fellowship is fragile. And it's easily breakable. And there is always then the potential that somebody who doesn't know God, somebody maybe who's got out of step, someone who's let the flesh get in the way. And we'll see how that operates a little bit more can come in and we have to learn how to deal with that. So Jude tells us, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Remember. These are people who would scoff and ridicule at biblical preaching and at biblical practices. They follow their own passions, their own desires, whatever they want. Let's remind ourselves then, brothers and sisters in Christ today, that on a very fundamental level, church is not about what I want or what any of you want. On a very foundational and fundamental level, church is about honoring God and doing what He said. So that we come together, not to please ourselves, but to please God. And to serve one another. Not so much to be served, but to serve God's people. We honor God and we serve His people. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 said, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And amazingly, when we honor God and we serve one another, it's amazing how blessed we feel, how happy we get. How our sense of unfulfillment goes away. Why? Because we're doing what church is supposed to be. We're honoring God. And we're serving His people. And it's not about me. I'm honoring it's about Him. About serving one another. So, my beloved. How do we avoid then the pressure from those who are lost or just carnal? How do we maintain our focus as a church and as individuals on honoring God and serving His people? How do we stay on track with that in the midst of a crazy world that is pressuring our churches more and more? How do we stay on track? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because, because Jude gives us a very good answer in these power-packed verses but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Build ourselves up on faith. 
Remember that Jude is not talking about uh, the faith that is for by grace are you saved through faith, not saving faith. He's not talking about that kind of faith where we walk by faith or we live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Jude is discussing faith as it relates to what we believe. And he's telling us then that faith, the faith, that systematic revelation of God's truth to us that today we call the Bible. The classic passage about this, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, is in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, in any field of study, no matter what it is, there is a certain mastery that is required. Whether your field is in some area of business, you must master uh, whatever it is that you intend to be in business to do. Uh, uh, some area of commerce, maybe some field of service like medicine or the law. No matter what it is, you must learn it. And then you must learn how to do it. And if you learn it well and do it well, you'll probably be successful. You learn it, you do it. It's no different in the Christian life. Uh, we must learn what God has said. Learn then to do what He tells us to do. And avoid what He tells us to avoid. Isn't it simple? Yes. Isn't it complicated? <laughs> oh yes, yes indeed. It is both really simple and extremely complicated. The Bible is not like any other book. We read other books, but the Bible reads us. Any building starts with a foundation, and that's what he's talking about. Do you want to build yourselves up on your most holy faith? Any building project starts with a foundation. You can't just go out there one day and say, I think I'm going to put a roof on today. Put a roof on what? You've got to start with a foundation and do things in order. That's the only way a building project can go on. If we're going to build up ourselves on our most holy faith, and we can say, okay, I'm going to build myself on the Word of God. How exactly do I do that? Well, I probably need to read this thing. It's our instruction manual. So you start where? Like you start at the beginning like everybody else. You make it through five chapters, and then you say, what in the world? Or all these begottens and begats and for long you lost. I'm not telling you the book of Genesis is not important. It is vital. Absolutely vital. But I do tell you that for most Christian people, if you're just starting out, one of the best things you can do is read the gospel of John. John starts in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were what? Made by Him. John gives you his own creation story. Starts at the creation, goes all the way through. His design then is very simply put. I'm writing this book around these signs that he gave. I'm writing this book so that you might believe on the name of the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that believing that you might have life through His name. These things I have written to you so that you would know who Jesus is and then know how that you need to relate to Him. The reason I say start there is because really the whole story of the Bible is about Jesus Christ and His great work of redemption on our behalf. You don't understand the creation. 
unless you understand how it relates to redemption. You don't understand the fall unless you understand how it relates to redemption. You don't understand the flood unless you understand how it relates to redemption. The whole thing is about God's great plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. Study it. I don't think you probably need to start out reading through Revelation or Ezekiel. Or Song of Solomon. Although I'm going to tell you that if you do, that's okay. okay it's all right. Just get around and, to the Gospel of John somewhere in your travels. Most books are one book. The, the Bible is, is not just one book. It's a collection of 66 books. Written over a period of about 15 years. Understand it. Learn it. We've got a great course right here at Faith Baptist called FBI. It'd be a great place for you to start if you want to learn more about the Word of God. In any field of mastery, any field, you have to master certain information. But let me tell you something about the Bible. You'll never master it. You've only got one lifetime. Okay? 80 years, 90 years, not near enough time to get all this one down. Four years college, four years graduate, get a doctor's degree. Uh, not nearly enough time in a lifetime to master all of the truth God has given us in His Word. But we can get a pretty good working knowledge of it. Then the challenge is learning how to do it. Follow it. So He tells us then to build ourselves up in this most holy faith. Then he tells us to pray in the Spirit, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes this is associated in today's world uh, with speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit. Now, I covered that concept at length during our series on 1 Corinthians. If you'd like to learn more about it, you can go back. It's still on the website. Uh, look us up. You can listen to those sermons. I'm not going to say much about that concept except to quote what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. When you pray, he said, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. They may be seen by, by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask them. We add in then Romans chapter 8 about praying in the Spirit. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So just briefly today, I, I would not uh, say to you that it is necessary or even that it's a good thing or a biblical thing to pray in what is called tongues. Uh, Paul talked about, I will pray with the Spirit, 
and I will pray with the understanding also. Praying in the Spirit is simply, I think, identified for us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 when we understand that we don't know what to pray for. We think we do. (laughs) Why am I praying? I got a burden. Why am I praying? I got a need. Why am I praying? Somebody else has got a burden. Why am I praying? Somebody else is struggling. Why am I praying? Because I want God to do this or this or this. I mean, this is what we don't. But the fact is, we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. We think we do, but we don't. But I've got good news for you today. Right out of the Word of God, Paul says, because we're praying in the Spirit, because the Spirit of God lives in us and He knows our burden. But He's also God and He knows everything God knows. It's a spirit because he is God. And he does know our burden. And because he's God, he is able to take what we pray, our burden, and take that before the throne of God to get us not what we've asked for or what we think we want or even what we think we need. But then God sees it from his perspective. Isn't that good news? Can anybody go along with me and the great theologian Garth Brooks this morning and say, thank God that he doesn't always give us what we ask for? Have you ever prayed a prayer that you're now thankful to God that he didn't say yes to? The Holy praying in the Spirit then means that we pray with the Spirit's intervention. So that we don't hear it. It's groanings which cannot be uttered. It's not even necessary for him to say it because he is God. But he is interceding for us. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. So how do we as the beloved, God's people, how do we then live in a time of of division and turmoil? How do we react uh, when we find it around us? How do we react when we find it in our friends and our family? How do we react when we find it at work? How do we react when we find it in the church? Well, number one, we need to build ourselves up in our faith. That's study our scriptures. Number two, we need to do a lot of praying in the Spirit. Number three, he tells us, then, keep yourself in the love of God. Jesus warned about our days. He said, then many will be offended. In Matthew chapter 24, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That's our day. There's something about living in an evil world and surrounding ourselves with all of this wickedness. There's something about this that tends to sap away, just pull away from us the love that we have for God. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, Jesus gave a strong warning to the church at Ephesus. He said, I am against you because you have abandoned the love that you had at the first. You have left your first love. John said this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. (laughs) There's something about living in a sinful world and being around sinful people and maybe even indulging uh, ourselves in sinful things that robs us 
of our love for God, the more we love the world, the less we're going to love God. I didn't say that. The Bible does. What that means is, is that in these days in which we live, in a day where uh, division runs rampant and, and there's so much hostility and so much hatred and, and so much evil and we're seeing so much of it, what do we do? Well, we need to put our nose in the scriptures. We need to put our knees on the floor. And we need to make sure that our heart is full of the love of God and not the love of the world. And number four, look for mercy. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's at least two ways that this concept can be applied. Uh, first, he could be calling us to keep our focus on the return of Jesus Christ into this world. Looking for the mercy then of our Lord Jesus Christ means that we would, in that sense, he would be calling us to keep looking for Jesus to come. Keep our eyes on the prize. Understand the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Understanding that all the mess that's around us is not going to get the last word. It's not. Jesus Christ will have the last word. Jesus is coming. I can't fix this. He will. I can't deal with this. He will. Jesus is coming. You keep your focus on that. He mentioned that to us before. And perhaps then in this passage, He is calling on us to keep looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that our redemption draweth nigh and our salvation is nearer than when we believed. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. Contextually, it seems to rather lead naturally into the next passages that we'll consider next Sunday, God willing. And the next passages then refer to our efforts to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If so, then in the midst of turmoil, He's called us to look for mercy. Look for mercy. Sometimes hurting people hurt others. Did I say that right? Sometimes hurting people hurt others. Sometimes in this tumultuous world that we look around and see, maybe even when it comes inside the door, it's a great place for us to show mercy. Show mercy. <laughs> they don't deserve it. Neither did you or me. That's why it says we look for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad Jesus was merciful to you? Show mercy. Look for a way. Just show mercy. Show mercy. It's hard when that guy... Cuts you off in traffic. That fella comes warring about around you about 90 miles an hour because there's that much room between you and the car in front. And you, yeah. The easiest thing to do, of course, is just gun it, pull up beside him and make sure he can't get around that next car that's coming up. You know. 
I've, uh, I, I know that story. <laughs> it's hard to show mercy. I'm not, call, I'm not, I brought that up to you just so I'd let us know that, yeah, I know it's tough. Mercy's tough. Mercy's costly. The mercy God showed you was paid for at a great, great price. But that same mercy lives in all of us. So in the midst of turmoil, we can just show mercy. And in that, we can show compassion. And we might make an eternal difference in somebody's life. Look for mercy. Everybody you see needs forgiveness. All of us do. We never outgrow in this life our need for forgiveness. I can guarantee you all of us need that. Uh, Brother Scott pointed that out to us during our mission conference. I can point it out to you again today. Every one of us needs forgiveness. And we never get past that need for forgiveness. And the forgiveness that we experience as God's people is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for us on Calvary. What we show then to others is coming from that same source. But all oh, let's remember today that Jesus taught us to pray whenever we pray, Lord, forgive me like I'm forgiving other people. Show mercy to me like I'm showing mercy. This isn't a little bitty thing. This is a great, great, great big thing. My arms can't stretch any further. Huge thing. Keep yourself in the love of God. Look for ways to show mercy. Four great things that Jude calls on us to do. Put your knee, nose in the book, your knees on the floor. Make sure you love God and don't let the world suck the love of God out of you. And look for ways to show mercy. Let's stand together, please.